Have a few minutes? You won't believe what you can do with it. Open a Regions checking account online in as little as five minutes. Then enjoy award-winning service and banking tools and tech that help you live in the moment. Learn more at regions.com slash live in the moment. Regions Bank, member FDIC. Live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, inside the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel, it's time for Regions Business Radio. Regions Business Radio is presented by Regions Bank. Brave the beginning, member FDIC. Now, here's your host, J.D. Mueller. Thank you, Mike Salmon. Good to be with you today. Regions Business Radio podcast. I am J.D. Mueller, market exec and podcast host. I need to put that on my business card. Um, glad to be back with you. Uh, we, got a, we got a fun conversation today. Uh, we started a joke a minute ago. You know, there's these jokes, you know, three bears walk into a bar. Well, today it's a banker and two CPAs. So buckle up for the excitement. Um, but before I get there, uh, Mike Salmon's back with us. He spent a couple of days, uh, a couple of weeks in Japan for the Olympics. Uh, Mike, you got a mic over there? How, how was the Olympics? Uh, it, it happened. It was, uh, we were in a bubble for much of the time I was there. But uh, it was a great experience. Tokyo is an amazing city. And once we get back to normal times, you definitely have to go visit. Nice, nice. I was thinking about you, and uh, I can just, I mean, everybody's got their favorite Olympic memory, um, and they're different for everybody. So, I mean, I was a kid, you know, um, uh, Carl Lewis, when he when he won. And do y'all remember those guys that, uh, that, that did the decathlon? You know, they were competing against each other in the decathlon years ago, but there was nothing like Muhammad Ali coming out with that flame in 1996 that may have been all time all time 100 percent, 100 percent. that voice you hear there's greg hayes with uh, more stevens and tiller our other guest is daniel sosby these guys are with more more stevens and tiller cpa here in duluth easy for me to say and uh, i told mike salmon earlier we're just going to have a geek conversation um so if you if you want to have a, a geek episode of podcast this is it mike's got some uh Got got something teed up for us. Here we go. Nerds. 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 What is a nerd? <laughs> <laughs> There's a roommate, pal. I'm not kissing a nerd. I'm sorry. I just had this, to. This may not be one you want to uh, <laughs> listen to while you're driving late at night. You, you may veer off the road to sleep. Uh, this, the excitement level could reach peak. I don't know about that. You know, um, the uh, maybe you listen to it to go to sleep. Maybe maybe, maybe mm. that's a good thing. There um, you go. But I hope not because you know what 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 we do. <laughs> What we do together for our customers, for businesses across Gwinnett, North Atlanta, North Georgia, is very important. And and sometimes, yeah, we might get made fun of. My my daughter's an accounting major at UGA, and I was picking on her yesterday about what size pocket protector she was going to get when she went into CPA school. She didn't really get that. I thought it was, you know, funny as I'll get out. Um, but the truth is, uh, CPAs and bankers, uh, as it relates to our role for our customers, um, is of dramatic importance, especially in an ever-changing business environment like we're in now. And I'm not just talking about what's going on with supply chains. I'm talking about what's going on with the rules of the game. They're changing a lot. Changing constantly, and we are, um, I think, hurtling toward another era of change between now and the end of the year with tax rates, corporate, individual, estate mm -hmm. tax. 
I think everything is on the table with our friends in Washington. So um, we need, we're, you know, we want to plan accordingly. Yes. Yes. So with that, with that said, uh, Greg, why don't you start us off with a little bit of intro to more Stevens Tiller CPAs. You got several offices and you got a great, uh, great reputation. Tell us about you guys. Thank you, JD. Thanks for having us in today. Um, so I, a broad description of our firm. We are, mm, I am say 140 people at this point. Uh, we are a Georgia based firm, uh, founded actually back in the mid fifties down in South Georgia. Um, and we serve exclusively privately owned companies and the families that own them. Mm. Uh, and that really cuts across sort of a wide variety of different industries, manufacturing, distribution, technology, uh, professional service firms, uh, just a really wide variety of those privately owned companies. Gotcha. And your role at Moore Stevens Tiller is? Uh, I'm a partner. Uh, okay. I, I just finished up a five-year stint as managing partner of the firm. Uh, was glad to hand the reins uh, of that job down to uh, to the younger generation. Uh, but my role really is just in sort of day-to-day -day client service, problem solving, mm. uh, and directing traffic to uh, to get things done within the firm. I got gotcha. you. I hear you. And uh, Daniel Sosby is also with Moore Stevens Tiller. Daniel, uh, welcome. Tell us what you do there and uh, give us your uh, perspective on, on Moore Stevens Tiller, specifically, if you would, in the Duluth area. Yeah, thank you, J.D. Um, I've been with Moore Stevens Tiller now for 14 years. Um, cut my teeth as an auditor, kind of learning the tax ropes along the way, doing a little advisory, and now, for the most part, rolling into business development. So for me, that looks like uh, organic growth, new clients coming in, new lines of business, and then um, also potential M&A for our firm. We're always looking for the other CPA firm in the area that we might converge with, geographic location we may not be in, or an expertise we may not have that can continue to grow what we do for our clients. Um, so I am in the Duluth location primarily. Um, most of my clients are in the metro Atlanta area, but um, we have been growing our Duluth office at an exponential rate. We added square footage right before COVID. Uh, who would have thought that might have been a bad idea, but it actually worked out well for us. Mm -hmm. And um, all of our offices are, are, are growing at a pretty good clip. Um, one thing I can say we always pride ourselves on is retention. Most of our employees are kind of like me, um, well-tenured over the 10-year range. So um, a good, good group of people to work with. Very good. Awesome. Awesome. You, you mentioned the word retention. We're going to talk about that as sort of a closing topic um, as it relates for our business clients. Um, you know, I've been starting off our podcast of late with sort of a PPP update. Um, I didn't really have that on my agenda, um, but I'm thinking about COVID hits. You add staff, you, you get more square footage. You would think, as you mentioned, that that's a bad time to add staff and square footage. But in fact, it was probably good because the PPP load on CPAs was as heavy, if not heavier in some instances, that, than it was on the banks. Um, yeah. A lot of lot of heavy lifting there. Yeah, I, I could say, you know, assistance on some reasonably complex areas of law with respect to PPP, employee retention credit, uh, and some of the other tax incentives, net operating loss carrybacks, and other things that have been put in place uh, purely as part of either the CARES Act or some other type of uh, COVID relief. Mm. Um, it just sort of added to the typical right. uh, deadline and client service work. Gotcha. Right. 
Gotcha. For my team, so by way of uh, reminder, my team is Gwinnett North to Highlands, North Carolina, and East Athens. I got five bankers. During the first phase of PPP, we did, just on that team, for our local customers, we did 132 loans and $61 million. Wow. Um, Of that, so this was interesting, I found out. The state of Georgia had 112 loans, PPP loans, at the max of $10 bucks. Three of them we did at regions in North Georgia. Wow. Um, Of those three, I believe two of them have already been fully forgiven. Wow. Good for them. Um, Really, I mean, on top of it, you know. One one quick update there, J.D. You're probably aware of this. Certainly your your customers may be. But you'll you'll remember that there was a a rule that came out that anyone that got PPP more than $2 million had to – sort of go through extra steps to justify the amount of that loan over two million dollars uh that requirement has been uh removed you no mm. longer have to go through and it, and it was a very involved uh form that was required for folks with ppp in excess of two million dollars that requirement again has been removed someone with more than two million dollars now just goes through the regular forgiveness process that's a big deal because that form was nasty Mm. was it really wow yes that's good news um so it is good news Um, i'm assuming that somewhere along the way they figured out a way to audit and make sure that everything was on the up and up um, maybe without using a form but uh you know um what was a lesson learned from the ppp process that you guys may recall Mm, I'd say that, um, you know, what was, I think, difficult um, about that process was just the changing of the rules. I mean, every week, Mm. the government, I think, (laughs) with good intent, uh, rolled this program out, but it was not ready for prime time. And there were constant changes, lots of questions being raised. And I think that confusion can often Mm. lead people to sort of just throw up their hands and either not participate think it's you know that there's too much involved but i maybe the lesson learned would be you know some patience and the ability to kind of grind it out through that because the dollars and in a you know a turbulent environment like this those Mm -hmm. dollars could be the difference between surviving Mm -hmm. or folding Um, and i think that that uh, that sort of uh, patience and again ability to stick with it is key it makes me think about where we are now uh sort of getting away from the rearview mirror and looking at you know where we are in the cycle as it relates to ppp funds geek this is a pure banking cpa geek question that that maybe if there's a cfo or a or a ceo or an owner listening may may appreciate this question but it's this um how are PPP funds being treated in a financial statement, according to perhaps GAP, or what are you seeing from uh, different banking perspectives as it's being treated? Do you get what I'm saying? Where is it showing up on the P&L? Daniel, you want to yeah, take um, that? So as soon as, since we were going through the 2020 audit season and, and COVID hit right in the middle of tax season for 2020, we were extending out financials and uh, due dates because essentially PPP came priority. We changed priorities really quickly with COVID came out because it wasn't a matter of getting audited financial statements. It wasn't a matter of getting tax returns done. It's like, all right, survival of the company. So into that, as we started issuing financials and tax returns, as things became more clear, um, really the 
as forgiveness became known or the likelihood of forgiveness became known, um, it goes to the P&L from an other income standpoint, um, but it is an excludable non-taxable item um, essentially on the tax return. Uh, the question at hand was, would the expenses that were offset to that income, would they be a deductible expense? That was a huge question at the beginning of it. Turns out that was um, essentially negated uh, and there was no real tax implications at all for the amount of the PPP loan that came through. Mm, so it just goes yeah. straight to other income? Goes to other income, non-operating sort of below the line right. income is where mm-hmm. I think we've exclusively seen it. You you don't want to have that mixed in. In operations. Operations, gross margins, anything along those lines. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. And and that that's in keeping with how banks are spreading them. You know, I mean, we're it, it's it's other income. You know, forgiveness, how you account for it uh, in in underwriting, um, if it's forgiven or not forgiven, there's a little bit of a difference there because I think that we want to know that it's forgiven before right. it can be officially seen as as other income. I guess is it a liability then? If it's not forgiven when you publish an audit, I guess it's a, as a liability. Yeah, if forgiveness wasn't known or likely to be forgiven, then it's still set on the books as a debt obligation to be paid in the future. Gotcha. And I, I'd say uh, just as a matter of, um, uh, you know, just what's going on out there, we haven't seen a single uh, client apply for forgiveness and be denied or even partially denied. Everyone we've seen has been 100% forgiven. Mm. Well, I, I, if I look over my universe of the same, Greg, I can't say definitively that no one has been denied. But if they had been, I feel like I'd have been made aware of it. No, you know, I, I think team. that would be the story. If you saw someone who was denied, that would be. Yep. Uh, I'd want to understand why. Right? Mm-hmm. And clearly, if you don't spend the proceeds in accordance with the the plan, you'd be denied. But. You know, I mean, it's pretty clear what you can spend it on, what you should have spent it on. That you know, yeah. So it, but again, I think I think people were very uh, careful to apply the proceeds and spend them in accordance. And uh, you know, now that I think the SBA has had some time to to build their systems, the uh, the forgiveness process is a heck of a lot better than the application process. Sounds and like it. And all the. Craziness that was going on initially. Yeah, they were they you know they were paving the road while they were building it or driving down the road while they were paving it. However right. you want to say, um, you know. But uh, yeah, I, you know, PPPs in it's part of it's part of every business conversation you have at this point. Um, so I just thought you know I think it's an interesting topic that one hundred percent of our business customers are dealing with. And look, I'll go back, not to belabor this point, but I can remember having deep meaningful conversations with clients that were in industries that we knew i mean entire industries that were likely to die as a result of this thing and 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 people saying well if we're not going to make it then why take the money well at the end of the day a year later they probably could have taken it and it things would have ended up a little differently um you know that that monday morning quarterbacking is always you know, beneficial, but nonetheless, um, you know, I think too, as a result of COVID, um, we seem to be seeing a lot of M and a activity. We see a lot of, uh, first and second generation business owners that are exiting. It's interesting that third generation business owners statistically do not seem to stay in the family business. 
Um, but uh, are you seeing the same thing? And what trends are there in not not CPA M and A? You guys, um, you know, looking at targets, but within your client base, what are you seeing in regards to selling, purchasing, and preparing for those events? Uh, I would tell you without a doubt, uh, there is a lot of um, merger and acquisition activity, in particular. Uh, I think coming from private equity mm-hmm. funds mm-hmm. Um, and industries that are sort of consolidating, rolling up, uh, it's uh, simply incredible, I think, the amount of capital uh, that is chasing deals currently in the marketplace and the multiples that are multiples of earnings uh, that are used to value businesses um, are stratospheric. At mm-hmm. this point, I mean, I, and I think when business owners and we work with a lot of multi-generational businesses uh, and maybe businesses that had no intention of looking to sell or exit the business, but when they are approached with this type of valuation, they have no choice but to uh, to mm-hmm. listen. And yeah. so it that that the, the the amount of that capital that's chasing, uh, I mean, relatively few deals. I mean, the result is the price goes up. Yep. And uh, we, we are certainly seeing that among our client base. Right. Right. That There's a topic there that I have a little bit of energy around. Um, and, it, and it's sort of a – it, it sort of conflates what you guys do, what you and your teams do. On one hand, your job is to manage – primarily reporting oftentimes, if I should say it that way, manage a client's tax liability – which may have an impact on the balance sheet, which will eventually tell the story of the value of the company. And I, you know, I've had these conversations where a, a business owner would say, "Yeah, but my the val the, the the business appraisal on this company was 1.7 million, but I think it's worth 5 million." But if you look at the financials, because of their appropriate appropriately executed um, tax strategy does have an impact when it comes time to sell on the value of the company. Am I saying that correctly? Do you, do you agree with that? I, I would agree with that. And certainly, I mean, what matters here are the dollars that you get to keep after tax and <laughs> the, the, the tax structure that you have, uh, how the deal itself is structured as either an asset sale or a stock sale can have major implications um, on ultimately whether or not you want to do a deal. I mean, when you look mm. at the after-tax proceeds, I mean, it, uh, the, 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 the type of structure you have can be probably the single, um, as, a, uh, as a separate item, it'll have the biggest impact mm. on, uh, again, the dollars that you get to keep, which is the important part. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, that's that's – that's the bottom line, uh, you know, gauge of success is how much are you putting in your pocket. Yeah, and, and part of that, I mean, is the structure that you're bringing to the table of the deal. I mean, you know, are you a C corporation, an S corporation, et cetera? Uh, but then the other half of it is how is the deal itself structured? Yep, uh, yep. In, in terms of, uh, and again, we, we won't go down that rabbit hole, but there are a number of different approaches there. So, again, part of it is what, you know, what you are historically – Part of it is what type of negotiation you have and your understanding 
um, of the impact of the structure of the deal, you know, in a private equity situation, how much you might be rolling over or investing mm-hmm. um, in the in the new company and the treatment of those proceeds. All of those are major uh, components to after-tax cash. That that it's a fun discussion to have, and and I agree. We can't. We would be talking in these microphones for hours if Absol- we went down absolutely. There. But let me ask you this: uh, on that topic. If you think about, let's just say, two years ago, how much, how, what percentage of your time are you spending on that topic now compared to two years ago? Uh, I, I, again, a lot more. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, there was, I would say, a, I'm going to say a six-month pause when COVID mm-hmm. first really hit. There was a lot of uncertainty, uh, you know, with, with businesses and results and what, what's this thing going to look like afterwards. But it didn't take long, and then I think – you know, coming out of the pandemic, it has been stronger than ever. Yeah. And I would agree to the fact there's no limitation of revenue. I mean, we're seeing acquisitions for two and $3 million companies going left and right versus 20 to $30 million companies. These, these PE firms or even larger families are sucking up companies left and right, just depending upon the industry they may want to get in and just looking at these cash flows and, um, multiples they can get. Um, I would say years ago you wouldn't have seen the two and three four million dollar companies being eaten up uh, like you you do today. So so with that in mind and, and and think about the fact that we we want more people to hear what you're saying on this topic. Um, so let's just say the podcast gets in the hand of someone in Lawrenceville, Swanee, Duluth, or whatever, and the, you know maybe at the water cooler or at the golf course they're thinking number one I'd like to know what my company is truly worth which is different than just looking at retained earnings or what your seller discretionary income is. So maybe somebody's listening that wants to know what their business is worth and they want to be able to identify potential purchasers. Can MST help with that? We can uh, in an informal fashion. I mean, we are not certified valuation experts, uh, but, you know, our uh, multiple touches Mm -hmm. on – uh, deals both that happen that maybe get proposed to our clients. A lot of times clients will call us, hey, this guy has approached us. They're valuing our company at X. What do you think about this? And we'll give them some informal uh, feedback based on what we see in mm-hmm. our relatively broad marketplace of clients. Okay. And we don't handle the valuation part like Greg said, but um, – I would say over the last four years, our due diligence quality of earnings work has picked up drastically um, where we're going in and assessing whether our client is being purchased um, and working with the the purchaser on a due diligence project. Or we've had numerous clients over the last few years also do acquisitions as well. So if it's a smaller company, they may haven't had audited financial statements. We go in and do a due diligence Q of E for that client. Um, to dig in and find out what's hidden underneath there that may not be presented in a tax return. A mm-hmm. lot of times these smaller companies can only really produce a tax return or a QuickBooks set of financials, yep. and that doesn't help you at all in an acquisition. Um, right. So we have picked up the um, due diligence QV work quite a bit. Nice. Yeah, it reminds me of some conversations I had through COVID, by the way, with like business consultants, and they were, they were out peddling some business on the 2019 financials. Um, you know, so you say Q of E. Quality of earnings, by the way. What uh, define that uh, technically for us? Quality of earnings. What would you do there? 
Um, is it akin to an audit and it's uh, it's a different uh, it's cover a little, letter? It's a little different beast. Um, there's some aspects of an audit built into it. I mean, you'll do a proof of cash concept looking at um, the revenue on the books. I mean, is it truly match up, ma- match up to cash deposits coming in mm. and AR going and, and clearing of A&R, like truly valuing out the revenue. Okay. Uh, in an audit, you would just sample, and but we're looking at true cash flow. Um, I mean, you're going to look at um, the exposure uh, of potential liabilities out there that may not be captured. Mm. So you're looking at things that may not necessarily be on the balance sheet, um, hidden underneath like uh, potential sales tax exposure. Is um, this company filing sales tax in all the right jurisdictions they're supposed to be? Um, or is there something out there that they should be filing sales tax in that this client doesn't know about? Um, so we're trying to uncover more or less than test a balance sheet or income statement when you're doing a Q of E or uh, due diligence work. Wow. Actually, that sounds pretty cool. And, and I think going along with just the, the the concept of quality of earnings is also looking, going in and looking at expense trends. Uh, and again, as, as Daniel said, sort of looking behind the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if, if revenue has been going up at a pretty good clip, but um, if there are any disturbing trends with revenue, maybe the the uh, the quali- is the quality of AR backing up that revenue increase on par. Looking sort of again behind the numbers from a business perspective, not so much from a uh, a gap standpoint or right. sort of a geek standpoint, but truly from a businessman's perspective, you know, um, are, is this P and L and this cash flow uh, production sustainable mm-hmm. and legitimate right so so that's a service that would be basically the acquirer would be most interested in a q, q you know a. we we've actually seen it and performed it in two different roles one it could be for the acquirer that is coming in to look and again sort of look behind the curtains at a business we will also do what we call preemptive due diligence, where for the seller, mm-hmm. we will go in and perform a due diligence process mm-hmm. and actually uh, prepare a quality of earnings study, anticipating questions that they're going to get in a process, and they can be that much more prepared then when they go through a process. Well, I would tell you in that regard, if, if the acquirer, if you're doing this as due diligence, and the acquirer would have to go to, let's say, Regions Bank, uh, you know, for maybe an SBA loan, or sometimes it's not an SBA loan. Maybe it's a maybe it's, it's an acquisition core loan that we could do. Um, a quality of earnings or a due diligence report like that would be as valuable as the valuation. I mean, it would take that valuation and and give it even greater credibility, because a lot of times what we see is. Um, you know, a business owner, a business, business owner is good at what they do. You right. know, they, they, they manufacture this thing and they're really good at it. And they got great people that manufacture the thing and they want to buy this, this supplier because it's going to cut down on the lead times and it's going to allow them to buy that, that product from the supplier more quickly. And in their mind, they're thinking, Hey, I'm going to do this and it's going to help my baby. The, the business that I've, that I've, that I've grown and I've loved. But if there's a if there's a, a a surprise waiting that they're not aware of, they could avoid a catastrophe that was looming anyway. 
Um, that that's as, interesting, and 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 that's the idea. I yeah. mean, is that um, you know you you want as much objective evaluation, uh, and a, 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 an acquisition is a big deal in, in the privately owned company world. Uh, either being acquired or acquiring a company is uh, it's not something that you do often, and so when you do it, you want to do it right. Uh, and so, you know, this, this type of process, this quality of earnings, it might be required by your lender. But even if not, I think you want to do it just to make sure that you know what you're getting. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Q, Q, quality of earnings sort of makes me think a little bit about, um, oh, my goodness, it just escapes me. I was about to say it. It's in an entirely different application, uh, and you guys know what it is, uh, cost segregation. You know, uh, you know, now I'm applying two different things, but a, a Q of E goes deep into the financials where cost segregation goes deep into the manu- to the building of a, a building or some asset that you purchased. And I don't think a lot of people know that they have these tools in their quiver. Of course, um, your time, your expertise, your knowledge is, is worth something. And typically um, there's a good return on that. So anyway, I just... Cost segregation, I think, is is an interesting topic. We can talk about that some other time, but it, it's sort of like a, cost seg for, for yeah. the financials. A, a qualified CPA should bring about that topic to any client out there that's either acquiring mm-hmm. and or building a building. Gotcha. I mean, that's just basics. Gotcha. Um, moving, moving to my next uh, sort of topic, I can't wait to talk to Greg about this one. Daniel, you and I have talked about it a little bit before. With the dramatic change in the business environment, we talked about several things. Um, Connecting the CPA world and and the banking world. Um, I enjoy having a conversation about uh, the decision matrix in today's business environment as it relates to which is more important, access to capital or rate and fee. If you can get both, I'm sure that's the preference. Um, But... uh, when, when when I say that topic, what comes to your mind, Greg? Well, it's almost I would almost view it from our uh, business standpoint. Um, you know, what's more important, the the fee that you pay your accountants or the value right. uh, that you get mm. from the services provided? And uh, you know, the 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 least expensive route is not always the right one, right. and uh, quite honestly, I mean, interest rates are so low now. I mean, it, it's uh, I, I rarely see a pricing difference uh, being the driver for a client choosing a bank or changing a bank or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. It is the banker themselves and the access to that capital uh, that drives the relationship and the creativity uh, and the thinking behind the providing of that capital. Yep, yep. Um, so it, it, in our opinion, uh, you know, interest rate is not the reason uh, that, uh, that you would make that choice. I would venture to guess that if, you, if, if a client called you and said, hey, you know, Greg, Daniel, we got, we got this equipment, piece of equipment that we're going to buy. Could you help us do a quick spreadsheet analysis on which is the best deal from a pure financial standpoint, rate and fee? I would I would tend to think to your point in today's rate environment, the arbitrage between the low rate and the high rate is probably within twenty five basis points. It, it, it is minimal. minimal. Yeah, you minimal. Um, it, it's it's not a lot, as you say, minimal. Um, I like that topic, and I love the what I know I put you on the spot, and it was a perfect answer because in our worlds, um, 
proving value, especially in my world, in my world where we're essentially a commodity and uh, personality and expertise matters. Um, well, I, J.D., I, you know, you, you say it's a commodity, and some people may say that, you know, an, an accounting firm is a commodity. Oh, you guys do tax returns and audits. A loan is a commodity. A tax return is a commodity. And I think it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, it's the, uh, it's the experience and the approach to serving our clients and your customers and clients. Um, that's not a commodity. Yeah. We don't operate yeah. that way. I mean, and and I, you know, I know you guys don't either. But um, it, it truly is not uh, not not a commodity, and it's there. There are so many variables, um, good and bad. I mean, again, in both an accounting firm and a banking uh, standpoint, mm-hmm. that uh, that I think proves that every day. I think we had a race to the bottom. You know, there was a period of time prior to two thousand and eight where. Uh, almost every banking decision was made primarily through a rate lens and and we we hopped on board and just wrote it down uh, from a rate perspective and and now uh you know we're at a point where we're looking at it and going you know i got really good people on my team um i have fantastic bankers and we're we're bringing on more fantastic bankers and uh, and i look at it and say these are people that will return a phone call at seven o'clock at night. Right. These are people that will step away from a son's basketball game to return a call to a customer. Though, you know that that's meaningful. So so are I. I mean, you know, I think that a lot of time. Just just last week, we had um, we had a client give us uh, you know their their year end financial statements. It was an audit. That's why it took so long. And we're just doing a quick glance. We notice that that assets went up. And liabilities didn't go up. They they had purchased some capital equipment out of cash. And and it was a conversation of, hey, would you would you like to get some of your cash back out of that? Interest rates are extremely low. Let us just lay a loan on that thing for you. They they talked to their CPA and it made some sense. So we're going to do it. Uh, there, my point in bringing up that story is when you get the information, you read it so that you can almost uh, say it back to the client. Right. So that so that they know number one that you're reading it and number two that you're identifying what's changing in those financials, um, I think that's value. Um, that's what we should be doing. Absolutely, we, yeah. We have a prospect that um, you know wants us to spend more time just sort of thinking through how they can expand. And uh, you know, I think I was reading there was a there was a podcast that I was listening to about uh, about a, a book and it went back to Warren Buffett about he spends two hours a day in thought about business and and we think that we should always be busy when in fact we should be giving a ton of thought to our clients you know what are there's a um there's a business owner in Gainesville that uh certainly won't say his name but he pays his CPA firm an hour a month to to separate himself from the office and think about the business owner yeah I mean, I think we operate in that fashion. I mean, we are not a, um, <laughs> we're not the cheapest CPA firm on the block, but when you come to us, you are getting access. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't do much billable work anymore, but what I do, every single one of my clients have my cell phone number. And, um, I don't know if that's best practice or not, but uh, instead of shooting me an email or a phone call, I get texts 
nearly seven days a week, all, all times of the day, because my clients know they can access me and, 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 and just run any kind of idea they have off us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think ultimately that's the goal. I mean, you're building a relationship. It's not about a fee. Um, if they're looking for a fee, then we're not necessarily the right firm for them because we're in there to grow the business with them and, and kind of walk with them step by step, day by day. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I think do do you feel like your your relationships are a little deeper and more meaningful than they were 12, 18, 24 months ago? Mm, you know, I I would tell you I think even coming into uh uh COVID that you know, our and 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 to me it it's sort of the the meaningful part of our uh job and what we do is the type of relationship that historically we've had with these clients. I mean, these are uh, it, it is common for us to have 20 and 30 year relationships with our clients. Wow. Often spanning multiple generations, um, you know, from the maybe the start of a business, either passing it on to the next generation, the sale of a business, the starting of another. So, I, you know, I, I feel like that's part of what we've done and, and what the, the, the tool that we've used to grow our practice are those in depth relationships and it you know I, I i tell people jokingly that i think our role is about one-third accountant one-third psychologist and mm-hmm. one-third family counselor i mean that <laughs> is the the type of role that we often wind up playing with these companies and you know they know they can come to us for objective sort of unbiased advice mm-hmm. uh, with with any number of oftentimes financial or tax related right. uh, but but often just business advice and I'm sure you guys wind up playing a lot of the same role just based on what you other see at other customers and clients mm-hmm. and you can leverage that um, experience that you see elsewhere on other uh, and help other customers yeah with yeah that's good that's good part finance part family counselor part psychologist um you know because both of us both regions bank and mst we're dealing with our customers most important asset you know it's that it's that business and and we both share customers that when they lay their head on their pillow at night they're not just worried about their mortgage they're worried about 50 other mortgages right uh, the the rent payment of their of their employees and it, it's personal. It is very personal. Um, that's a really good conversation. Um, you know, bringing this in for a landing. Uh, if there was a, a little known uh, piece of accounting or tax advice that you may uh, be comfortable in sharing with our audience, you know, if there was you know something out there that someone may be missing, give a, give a second of thought to it, and you know what 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 would you say? I'd say this, J.D., and I, I wouldn't necessarily call this little known, but I think that it, um, it, it is certainly worth reminding people, and that deals with the employee retention credit. Hmm. Um, and that, uh, I will tell you that we've had many, many clients benefit from that credit, and the dollars, the benefits of that credit can be staggering. Um, it is not difficult to determine if you're eligible for the credit it's a simple revenue test Mm. it it, don't don't let reading something or hearing something overcomplicate that for you Um, do a little reading reach out to folks should be reaching out to their cpa 
and asking if, if, if they don't know, they should be asking the question, are we eligible? And if we're eligible, how do we get it? Because, I mean, that, the dollars, again, can just be, uh, it's incredible the amount of benefit that can flow from that credit. And, wow. and I'm, you know, we continue to find folks that maybe thought they weren't eligible or thought that it was too complicated or maybe mm-hmm. there, you know, there's not enough benefit. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got to look into that and, and see if you're eligible and if you are, uh, pursue it. And it's awesome. it, it's easy to test to see yeah. if you're eligible, and it's easy to get the credit if you are eligible. Well, wow. I'll say on average, okay. the ones I've processed for um, clients, the one-quarter credit is running about half of their PPP loan. So you can get that for up to is it all, all four credits uh, of the year it, it can yeah. be uh, you know so it's through it, 2021 yeah, it's it's quarterly in 2021 yeah uh, so you can get it for all four quarters i yeah. mean i've had clients i mean you know over a million dollars in this credit and credits of a hundred two hundred three hundred thousand dollars per quarter right. is not unusual oh wow I feel, so, like, I feel like i just released something awesome on the world with our podcast with you sharing that yeah. that's you know, and as bankers, it would it would behoove us to ask our clients, "Hey, what are you doing with the retention tax credit?" Um, yep. You know, it, typically we're not gonna. I mean, look, we don't look at many tax returns. You know, in our world, we're gonna we prefer reviews and audits. Um, but if we ever see a tax return, it would show up there. Um, but that's a that's a dramatic uh, impact that we need, <laughs> we need to be asking. Yeah. And, folks and about. again, it's called a credit. <laughs> But it's a check you get from the IRS. This isn't right. a tax credit that you're going to get the benefit of going forward or that you got to have an income tax liability for. You get a check from the IRS for the amount of that credit. And payroll withholding related. So either if you filed your first and second quarter payroll withholding 941s, you would go in and amend your 941s for first and second quarter if you're applicable or eligible for those quarters. And then if you even choose, you can offset that credit in future quarters and not have to pay in as much uh, for your payroll withholdings. But typically we're advising our clients, just go ahead and when the 941s do 20 days after quarter in, go ahead and slap that credit on there if you're eligible and then um, get that in the subsequent weeks. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's a phenomenal credit. Um, and. Like I said, there is a stipulation, I think a five-year statute of limitations on it, where you could come get back and come get audited by the IRS for mm-hmm. that credit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's, it's a simple calculation, simple amending of the 941 or adding that credit to your 941. It almost makes me, I mean, you know, in your world, if if I'm if I'm running an audit or I'm doing a year-end uh, tax planning for a client, maybe you, maybe that's just part of the drill. Hey, here's your retention tax credit paperwork go go file this in our world and this this uh, we'll close it out on this in our world we're moving to more uh this isn't tax related but you see it a lot is we're moving to a point where i think banks will make uh fraud management services a basic part uh, a charged part by the way not not a free service of treasury and and checking accounts there is so much fraud so so my question to you guys as as tax professionals is it's very similar to a question i asked earlier regarding how much time you're spending on m a if you look over the last three or five years um, have you seen a dramatic increase in fraud and and do you see clients moving to things like positive pay 
uh, with their banking accounts to uh, to offset or to protect themselves from fraud? I would say yes to that question. I would say, especially during the Great Recession, early that that time period, we were catching catching um, fraud on an annual click for roughly five to six years there after the recession of 2008 and nine and whatnot. Um, an audit's not built to do that, but we were catching it through our audit procedures. Wow. Where that was clicking off. I would say um, we're entering a point now of where we're starting to audit 2020, 21 financials. Um, it's plausible our audits could start picking up on things like that. I mean, just based on internal internal control assessments and testing. Um, so our audit team is aware of what happened 10 years ago mm-hmm. and that we have to build in practices and audit testing procedures for that for 20 and 2021, 20, knowing the economic crisis that was put on certain individuals and the stresses that were there financially. Yeah, I think that's what drives it. I mean, the fear of the stress that we're all experiencing at home and people get fearful and they make decisions that hurt themselves and others. You got a comment on fraud over there, Greg? You, well, I, w- what I would tell you is, I mean, be it either some sort of internal fraud or external, you know, the mm-hmm. the, the, the phishing emails, the cyber stuff, is these guys are good. Wow, they both, are, aren't both, they? Both internally and externally, uh, they're good, and it requires some vigilance and some procedures and things like positive pay can be huge to to filter some of that stuff and give you the best chance you've got to stop it before it occurs Mm -hmm. yeah i think you know the 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 truth behind the curtain is that you know the old banking uh sort of proof department looks a lot different than it did 30 years ago um you know and so we don't know what checks you've written and for the I'm, i'm bringing this up because someone listening may not understand what positive pay is we don't know what checks you've written so positive pay is a situation where you feed us a file from your accounting system that tells us the check number, the amount, who you paid it to. Right. What we do is we, we put that into our teller system, and if somebody presents a check that you've not told us has been written, we'll reject that thing. And we catch a ton of fraud. Uh-huh. We hold that. Now, to your point about phishing, that is the, that's one of the more scary things where – you, you have these criminals that can take over your email server and act like you. I have, I've been in a customer's office before, and I'm showing him my email, and I'm sending him an email. He's right in front of me, and it never makes it to him. And then he replies to me, mm. and he's sitting right in front of me. Wow. Somebody had gotten in, and I went straight to his office and showed him this. There's no telling how much money we because they were requesting a wire. I don't yeah. remember what the wire amount was, yeah. but it was that, and that's how it that's, goes. That's that's it. That's, yeah. There's your sign right there. Yeah, and and for those of the, those are those of our shared customers, whether they they do business with us, you know, uniquely together or not, is um, there again. There's a fee related to positive pay at a bank because we do process those things. We use resources and technology to do that. I can assure you the monthly fee as it relates to the per item to send that positive pay is much more palatable than when you have your CFO or your controller come in and go, uh, Mr. and Ms. Business Owner, we've been had for 80,000 bucks. 
um, you just got to do that. And and I'm sure you guys, it when, you, when yeah. you look at your controls and, yeah. you know, those those things are out there. A so, few years ago, we started building that into our internal controls, maybe more than that. But we always put recommendations. What are you doing? And positive pay um, was one of those recommendations. If your bank offered it, highly consider it to help eliminate potential fraud. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, nobody really realizes that that when you send a check, Whoever picks up that check has all they need, you know, to get something from you. It's frightening. Yeah. It is frightening. Absolutely. Um, closing comments. What would you, if you got a question about uh, about regions at all, you can ask it. But any closing comments? Daniel? I was going to say thank you, man, for having us out. Uh, it's been a blast. Um, we have been working together. I don't even know how long we've been working together. At least over a decade, probably close to it. Um, so MST and regions have a great relationship. And, um, um we thoroughly enjoy working with every single one of your bankers. Um, I, I know them fairly well, and they're great guys and gals to work with, and our clients have had nothing but the utmost to say when they we merge them over to a region's bank accounts, like, hey, these guys are great. So, awesome. um, yeah, we just enjoy the relationship. Thank you very much. Yeah, Great closing comments? I'll ditto that. Thank you. Thank you. Gentlemen, I appreciate you spending a Friday afternoon with us. Um, this is really great content. We appreciate you spending this time and look forward to working with you on future endeavors. Uh, thank you. I hope you have a very good weekend. Thank you, Thanks, Jimmy. Sir. And thank you for listening to Regions Business Radio. Regions Bank, member FDIC. Nerds. 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 What is a nerd? <laughs> <laughs>